Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson here. Proud to be your host of the program. Give me a follow on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Follow our show on Twitter as well at LO underscore Blue Devils. Make sure you subscribe and listen to all of our podcasts each and every day. And also, here for two months now at this point, we've been on YouTube every single day. Thank you for watching us each day. Like and subscribe. Share the video with your friends. It means a whole lot when you do that. On today's show, a very good friend of mine, Jason Evans of the Duke Basketball Report, one of the top, the top Duke basketball podcast. It's been around for a while, and it's a great listen every single time. Make sure you check it out. We've got a lot to get into with Jason, who joins our show now. Jason, as we bring you into the program, it's been a little bit. Thanks for joining me on today's program. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot, man. I, I got to say, I, I hadn't really thought about it. I, I do follow you on Twitter, but I hadn't yep. thought about your Twitter ha- your Twitter handle. You got a lot of dashes there, man. What's what's with all the underscores? Apparently, there are too many Jacksons running around, and uh, it's it's too hard to differentiate all of us. I, I, I got to tell you, as an Evans, I, I sympathize. I sympathize. <laughs> it's too crazy out here for us with uh, common last names. Now, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. Obviously, uh, the season came to a close. The Duke Blue Devils did, in fact, go on a big Final Four run. I was looking back through our conversations. And the last time you were on the program, Jason, was just prior to sort of the ACC tournament and postseason run for Duke. And as we celebrate Mike Krzyzewski's final team that just concluded, they made it all the way to the Final Four, man. Yeah. And in fact, I got to go down to New Orleans and enjoyed that Final Four. It was it was really great. It was a lot of fun, even though the result was not the result that any of us wanted, obviously. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's a fabulous end to the season. It's very weird, I think, now as a Duke fan. We should be used to it at this point, but when no matter how successful the team is, it feels like it's a brand new team the next year, yeah. and and never more so than than the current era of college basketball, both with one and dones and with the transfer portal. It's just strange. The uh, you know no one no one seems to keep anybody together anymore, except for North Carolina, of course. Yeah, they're going to have a lot of people coming back next season, and this is something that we've kind of been used to with the Duke men's basketball team is turnover year after year after year. Uh, and we're also going to get a turnover on the coaching staff this year at the top uh, with Kate Shire. On yesterday's program, we talked about the official announcement of Jay Lucas joining the staff. Let me get your thoughts on the coaching staff coming together. Yeah, I'm 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 thrilled to be adding Jay. I'm sure you guys mentioned it on yesterday's show, but uh, John Shire was generally – rated as the number one recruiting assistant in all of college basketball. And uh, Jay Lucas was considered the number two recruiting assistant of all college basketball. So as Shire moves up to a head coach, Jay becomes the number one recruiting assistant. And so Shire goes, that's my guy. I'm taking him. I really feel like if you look at what Duke has done in recruiting, uh, what, what, what they've now done in, in coaching, I know that John Shire has not coached a second as the official head coach of the Duke basketball team, but every move he has made, as I look at it, I go, that's the perfect move. Bringing, bringing in uh, uh, Mike Schragi to, to sort of run all the, the back office kind of stuff to oversee some of the recruiting. And I think 
perhaps deal with some of the name, image, and likeness kind of things and, and just be, you know, John Shire's right hand. A brilliant move. Uh, bringing in now uh, Jay Lucas, a, a guy who has coached with Rick Barnes, has coached with Shaka Smart, has coached with John Calipari. Just brings a ton of knowledge to the program that we don't have because we're so insular. D the Duke Brotherhood is really, really strong, and that's hugely important. But every so often, you need a little bit of new blood, and he he brought it in, and and I'm I'm tremendously excited for for what John Shire is building, not just in terms of the team, but in terms of the whole program. Yeah, Chris Carrawell and Emil Jefferson make out the rest of that coaching staff earlier this morning. Uh, Duke social media posted a video of kind of a two-minute recap of Jay Lucas's first day uh, in Cameron, around the office, around the facility, including meeting Mike Krzyzewski himself. So we kind of knew Coach K would still be around. On the guy's first day on the job, he's still meeting Coach K and sitting down in his office. So it very much so is still uh, Duke basketball with Coach K being kind of around and being there to help out as well. Yeah, and and that's a hugely important part of all this. We, we cannot – we, we cannot downplay how much Coach K has built a, an, an empire, the, the, the biggest brand in all of college basketball. And, you know, goodness knows, we all, we wish he was coaching even longer. You know, I, I get why he's not. And, and I wish him, you know, so much happiness in his retirement. <laughs> but yeah, that retirement, still including a role at Duke University, uh, fundraising, advising, and and overseeing to some extent, you know, just making sure everything's going right with the basketball program, wouldn't have it any other way. See, this is awesome because our YouTube audience just got to see the air quotes that you just threw <laughs> out there. Of, yeah, of I, folks I, I audio. The, air, the air quotes would be uh, available to your folks on the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So, all right, here's our project for today. I mentioned the Duke basketball report. Uh, you and Donald and Sam and the great work that you guys do with that podcast. Uh, now you. in off-season mode and everyone's trying to find something uh, to discuss. You guys kind of came up with this, uh, what is it, a one-and-done draft project that's going to be coming out a little bit later this week? Uh, actually, just it just released today. It, okay. it, it, was, it was originally supposed to release on Wednesday. And then we went, ah, we've been talking about it for a couple podcasts. Sure. We went, Let's just release it today. So, so it came out today, Tuesday morning. Um, what we did was this. We... We looked at uh, all the players who've been one and done in Duke history, uh, which goes all the way back to Corey Maggette, of course. Um, and and then we had a draft and you had to pick a team. You know, you needed you need to sort of say, OK, you know, this isn't just the five best. Or Actually, we went we, we have a bench seven best. This isn't just the seven, you know, wh who I think are the seven best one and done players. You had to go by position, um, at least to some extent. You need to have a ball handler. You need to have a center and the such. Um, and, and so we, we conducted this draft and, uh, and, and, and then we're going to post it on the Duke basketball report forums. Uh, so people can, can vote on who picked the best team. And a really interesting thing happened. Uh, JJ, you won't be surprised. Who do you think went number one in the draft? I would imagine uh, Zion Williamson would have been the top yes. selection. Of course, Zion went number one. Sam had the first pick and Sam selected Zion with the very first pick. No controversy there at all. I think everyone would agree. I he had was this on everybody's big board at number one. Exactly. After that, it gets a little bit dicey. And, and I had the second pick, and then Donald went third, fourth. We snaked around. I did something that, you know, maybe it dooms my, my selection, but I looked really hard at Duke's one-and-done players. I categorized them 
by abilities and by position and the such. And I realized the the position where Duke is the thinnest to some extent is point guard. I would have guessed that. That's the first thought in my head that was going in there. So so I was, you know, I was picking second. Donald was third, fourth, and then I was going to come around to fifth. I almost waited till fifth to do this, but I decided no, no way. I'm I'm making sure I'm getting a point guard because I think that there are there's a bunch of players that sort of slot into right behind Zion. And to me, it didn't matter who I took second or fifth. So I took Kyrie Irving. I almost took Tyus Jones, but Kyrie and Tyus are the only two sort of possibilities for point guard, unless you're drafting Trevon Duvall or Frank Jackson, or maybe Austin Rivers, maybe Trevor Keel. Like, could Trevor Keels be your point guard? You know, but the difference between those guys and Tyus and Kyrie I mean, like yeah. <laughs> huge, right? So I went ahead and I took Kyrie, um, even though he was injured. By the way, we're only counting their college careers, but I, I took the player that Kyrie was during the eleven games or whatever it was that we got from him, which was an incredibly impressive player. No kidding. Um, so, so, and then our draft went on from there. But because Sam selected Zion, I'm going to read you Sam's team. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And, and there, I, I think he, 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 I thought that picking Zion probably means you win the contest, but because he didn't get a point guard, here is the team of one and dones that Sam put together. It's Zion, Jalil Okafor, Jason Tatum, Gary Trent, Cam Reddish, Corey Maggette, and Austin Rivers. There's no ball handler. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, and I'm going to be very interested in seeing how people vote. I think, I, you know, look. Zion, Jalil, Jason Tatum. I mean, those guys, ridiculous studs. But he doesn't have a ball handler. My team ended up being Kyrie, R.J. Barrett, Brandon Ingram, Justice Winslow. I wanted some defense, and I got Justice. Wendell Carter is my big man, and then Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley. By the way, Vernon Carey, to me, is the most underrated okay. one-and-done player in Duke history. People don't talk about him or think about him that, that much. I looked at, are you familiar with PER, player efficiency rating? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. PER, for, for folks who are not familiar with it, really takes a look at your statistics and says, what did you do that was good? And then subtract out what you did that was bad. And it's a very, uh, John Hollinger invented it, a, a guy who's really smart about basketball. Many people consider it sort of the ultimate gauge of, uh, a, a, of a player's efficiency on the floor. Vernon Carey had a player efficiency rating of higher than 34 his one year Jeez. at Duke. To put that in perspective, Jason Tatum was a 22. I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Vernon Carey is a really overlooked player. I, I checked. I believe that the only one-and-done player at Duke to have a higher than a 34 player efficiency rating, higher than Vernon Carey, Zion Williamson had a 40. He's the only player. So I got Vernon Carey at the very end of the draft. I think my team is great. And then just to fill it out, not that anyone is paying attention at this point, but what the hell? Donald's team was Marvin Bagley, Tyus Jones, Paulo Bancaro, Luol Deng, AJ Griffin, Jabari Parker, and Trevon Duval. I love it. So, so that's our and and like I said, go to the Duke Basketball Report, go to the forums. There will be a a page there where you can vote on who has who drafted the best set of one and dunce. JJ, I'll ask you. I know you weren't necessarily writing them all down, but you know, who do you, you know, if you're putting together a team of one and dones, you got to yeah. get a point guard, right? 
And I love the vision that you had. I love the strategy there. That's because that's my first thought, honestly, was, okay, I didn't know the parameters of filling out the uh, entire roster to make it an actual basketball team. So that kind of shifted the way you're thinking. The fact that that isn't a, a era based, right? You could go all the way back to the late nineties, early two thousands, when you're looking at uh, the players that you could have selected. I'm so in favor of taking Kyrie with the top selection and building out the team the rest of the way. The other thought I wanted to have is a Vernon Carey thought as well. I think often I was kind of looking at some numbers and looking at kind of the season that Mark Williams had had. People can hear me on Unlocked on, on Rockets lately. The Rockets have a couple of selections there early in the draft, and I'm talking about the Duke guys. I've got a conversation coming up with Locked on Hornets a little bit later in the week as well for the NBA draft perspective. It's got to be just that there wasn't an NCAA tournament to kind of forget those memories that you had with Vernon Carey Jr. in that year being so shifted because, yeah, his numbers on the – like you don't believe what you're seeing when you just look at how good of a basketball player he was in his one season in Durham. Well, and, and I think the other thing that impacts Vernon Carey in terms of our impression of him is he wasn't the man on that team. That was Trey Jones's team and for good reason. I mean, Trey, Trey is an, a phenomenal leader. Uh, I'm not sure – you know, there's a very short list of guys who were better leaders in two years than Trey Jones. No kidding. I'm, I'm not sure there is a list of guys who were better in yeah. two years than than Trey was. But that was that was very much his team. So so that's already going to knock. You know, oh he what Vernon wasn't the man. So that already knocks him down a bit. And then the other thing is, like you said, they didn't get to play in an NCAA tournament. But the end of that year turned into the Justin Robinson story. Right. And, and Justin coming out of nowhere, a walk on who who lit, uh, not, not just comes on as a senior, doesn't play the first two, thir three quarters of the season. And then suddenly Duke's in a game against Wake Forest that goes to double overtime. Every other big man fouls out. They have to play Justin Robinson because they've got no one else. And suddenly this this guy turns into a revelation and is an um, is an impact player. And, and I think all of us dream of what would have happened in an NCAA tournament for that team. How, how much Justin and his ability to go inside and out, especially with, you know, his shooting three pointers as a big man, um, how much that had, had changed the team. And we feel like had there not been COVID, that team would have made potentially a really magical run. Uh, because I, I feel like at the very end of that year, they, they may have been, they were among the best teams in the country. No question about it. All of these things, don't involve Vernon Carey. <laughs> and so, and then, and then when you add to that, his game isn't suited for the NBA. So he's struggled to make an impact at the next level. Um, and, and I think that's why he gets downplayed a little bit. I mean, in our draft, Gary Trent went ahead of Vernon Carey. If you look at their seasons in college, their one season, there's no comparison, right? You know, Gary Trent does some great things on the on the floor and has turned into a very very nice NBA player. But the idea that you would say Gary Trent is a better one and done than Vernon Carey is laughable, and yet because of all these factors, Vernon Carey gets downplayed. Justin Robinson had one of the greatest senior night performances anyone could ever have. His final game against North Carolina, and what I was there for that game. I was at that game. It was a ton of fun. Was. So much fun before the world kind of got crazy on us. Jason Evans from the Duke Basketball Report is here with us. I can't wait to listen to the podcast. Yes, he just gave away all the teams, but I'm telling you the banter between these guys is reason enough alone to go and listen to that conversation. I'm definitely going to be listening to it You're kind. As well. Thank you.
Let's, uh, let's take our first break here in the program. In just a moment, I want to talk a little bit about the transfer portal, what's been going on there for Duke men's basketball. Another edition of Locked On Blue Devils here today. The NFL Draft has come and went. You need to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast to know exactly how your team fared. Are you pleased with your first-round selection? Did you find a steal in the third or fourth round? Let the guys over at the Locked On NFL Draft recap the draft better than anyone else for you. Also want to remind you about our Locked On ACC show. Candace Cooper doing a great job with that program Get all of your daily ACC news in less than 30 minutes on the Locked On ACC feed. Check out as well, Locked On SEC with Chris Gordy. Your daily news in less than 30 minutes with SEC expert Chris Gordy. Let's get back into the program today. J.J. Jackson alongside Jason Evans. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Duke Evans. He's with the Duke Basketball Report. Uh, The transfer portal is a very hot topic of conversation. On Sunday, players had the deadline to file for, uh, get their name in the portal. However, that process works for them. We've seen that it could take a day or two for those names to officially all come out. Although at this point on Tuesday, I think we know. I think that we've uh, been able to see the list of Duke guys, none, uh, that uh, have entered the portal, only early declarees for the NBA draft. But there certainly are some targets out there for the Blue Devils. And it seems like that two-guard spot or the wing position is, uh, is an area that a lot of people want to see the Blue Devils get. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, if you really look at the, the Duke roster for next year, with, with the addition of Ryan Young over the weekend, the, the, the big man transfer from, from Northwestern, you can construct a, a two deep, so to speak, you know, first and second team to practice against each other. And by the way, I mean, practice is a hugely important part of building a team and having a really good second unit that practices against the first unit, you know, crucial to any team's success. There's no question okay. about that. If you look at Duke's too deep, it, it is it is really, really impressive at every position except shooting guard. <clears throat> and that's that's not to say that Duke couldn't create a, a really good too deep and, and a good lineup with what they currently have. But but there is there's a, a glaring hole at shooting guard. And, and let me just really quick, and you know it, I'm sure, but I'll, I'll give you the two deep so you can see it. At point guard, it's Jeremy Roach and Jalen Blakes. At shooting guard, it's to be announced. Maybe Trevor Keels could pull out of the draft. You know, maybe someone we get through the transfer portal and, and Jaden shoot. At small forward, it's Dariq Whitehead and Joey Baker. At power forward, forward it's Kyle Filipowski and Mark Mitchell. And at center, it's Dariq Lively and Ryan Young. And, and and that's with Kale Catchings and Christian Reeves still on the team, but as the 11th, essentially as the 11th and 12th men to fill in the slots. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, again, that Duke won't survive if we don't get a, a shooting guard. In fact, I think there'd be, there's an interesting, there's an interesting scenario where Dariq Whitehead probably slips to shooting guard and Joey Baker is a starting small forward. And and Kale Catchings is getting a few more minutes, maybe than you would expect. You know, sort of as a backup small forward. You know, Jaden shoot, uh, Jaden shoot, and and Mark Mitchell actually. Mark Mitchell probably also competes for that that small forward kind of position. But I think we're all expecting that Duke is looking to get someone else through the transfer portal. And I think the complication at the moment is we don't know what Trevor Keels is going to do. And if Trevor Keels wants to pull out of the draft, if he's not a first round pick 
and he and he wants to come back to Durham, there needs to be a space for him. So it's this really it's this difficult dance <clears throat> that Duke has in trying to court someone in the portal, someone who's uh, high enough quality that they could be a starting shooting guard, a starting wing for Duke, but also sort of keeping them at arm's length while we while we wait to find out what's happening with Trevor Keels. And, and that's sort of why I think A.J. Green is, is the most logical choice. He's the kid from Northern Iowa. Uh, a lot of people have heard about him, a, a dynamite shooter, not a great defender, uh, but, but uh, a, a kid who's also in the NBA draft. Most people expect him to pull out. His stock isn't what Trevor Keels' stock is. Uh, but but he's testing the waters and seeing what the NBA has to say. And maybe if he is on a delayed timeline because of that, maybe his decision and Trevor Keel's decision can sync up a little bit. The complication with him, of course, is that his father used to be an assistant coach at Northern Iowa. That's probably why AJ went to Northern Iowa. And his father has uh, now moved. He moved more than a year ago, and he's now an assistant coach at Iowa State. And... Uh, you know, presumably AJ may want to play if he returns to college, he may want to play for his dad again. But but there are indications that that's not sort of AJ's automatic decision that that name, image and likeness plays a role and that Iowa State isn't going to necessarily have the same kind of um, branding opportunities and name, image and likeness opportunities that you would get at a bigger program. AJ may want a little bit of a of a bigger stage. Um, no offense to Iowa State, but playing at Iowa State and playing at Duke, not the same thing in terms of uh, the attention you get uh, in the in the basketball world. So so I think that's a, I think he's probably AJ's probably the best possibility. The other guy that's a possibility is Isaiah Mosley. I'm sorry, Mobley um, from from Missouri State. Uh, another guy who is in the in the draft, and so maybe again that draft timeline syncs up better with Trevor Keels. Um, Mosley is is bigger, yeah, and and has more uh, more NBA future I think than than Green does. And, and I think there's a distinct possibility that he stays in the draft. I think he and Trevor Keels are facing somewhat similar decisions. Uh, I don't know that Mosley is quite a first rounder, but but I think he's someone who is certain that he would be drafted and pretty likely to get a guaranteed contract. You know, mid middle of the you know first ten picks of the second round. That's sort of that range. But but we need to see what he decides, and it may be that he decides there's some risk there. And I want to go to a bigger program, and that uh, you know, again, Duke is the is the landing spot. We'll see. I think I think this whole process is the process of finding the starting shooting guard is at least a couple of weeks away. Again, because of this NBA timeline. Yeah, and, and that timeline more specifically, it's Tuesday, May third, right now. Two weeks from today, we will have uh, the NBA draft lottery. So two weeks from today, we'll find out the order in which teams will be selecting in the draft. They'll have the combine process within that. We're a few weeks away from uh, that deadline for players to say, "Okay, I'm pulling back out and going back to school." And then, well, I, th- I of- think I think the pullout date is is June first, actually. June first, okay. Yeah. So May seventh is your draft. Lo- May seventeenth, excuse me, is your draft lottery. Two weeks from today, June first is the last day, and then the middle of June is going to be the NBA draft. Um, so just to kind of get the the timeline on everybody's mind. There's a conversation online that's taking place as well because it has been a couple of weeks of um, this this conversation about uh, what that two-guard spot is going to look like. And by the way, here on this Tuesday morning edition of Locked On Blue Devils, Baylor Shireman, another name we've been talking about a little bit from South Dakota State, did officially commit to Creighton. 
never really felt like Duke was in it as much as he might have been playing them up in it uh, as well, which is uh, a little bit interesting there. But yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Baylor Shireman he announced his top five the other day, and Duke was in there, and and I'm you know I'm sure John Shire and the Duke coaches were were thrilled to see that they'd made the top five, but I think they knew that it wasn't that they weren't really in the cards there. There were there were some teams that were sort of playing a name, image, and likeness game. Um, I think both Clemson and Arkansas supposedly had had strong offers for Baylor Shireman. Um, Creighton apparently also had a strong name, image, and likeness offer. Uh, but but I think the real reason he picked Creighton is that he's from Nebraska, and uh, the possibility of going home to his home state was a big deal. And Creighton is the team in the state of Nebraska. Uh, ne- Nebraska University is not uh, nearly the basketball program that Creighton is. And so, uh, look, I wish Baylor Shireman all the all the luck in the world. I, I hope he has a great season at Creighton. Uh, I, I never really thought like he was a great fit at Duke. He's a guy who is going to need the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and I feel like between Jeremy Roach and Derek Whitehead and Kyle Filipowski, for that matter, Duke has a lot of guys who need the ball in their hands. And, and I'm not sure that Baylor Shireman would have been a great fit. And then the other thing is Shireman's not a defensive player. And Duke has a possibility next year to put a really impressive defensive lineup on the floor. Derek Lively is a great rim protector. Dariq Whitehead is going to be one of the most advanced wing defenders that you see as a freshman. If you look at what he did for his four years of high school, uh, he was he a couple of years ago, it was his job in practice to guard Cade Cunningham. Right. I'm talking about Cade Cunningham, who was incredibly elite in college and then is now an elite player in the NBA, has said that the toughest defense he faced when he was in high school, was in practice against Derek Whitehead. Um, you know, this That's is a dude price. who, yeah, this is a dude who, throughout his high school career, was guarding unbelievable wings every single year in practice, every single day. He is going to be an elite, elite defender. We know that Jeremy Roach is a pesky defender, and I actually think you can put out an interesting lineup. You know, probably with Mark Mitchell rather than Kyle Filipowski, with Mark Mitchell at power forward, where suddenly you've got four plus defenders on the floor. Well, if if we can find a fifth one to play that shooting guard position or at least a adequate defender, I think that's preferable over having someone who's getting a little bit lost out there. And I, I worry that that would have happened with Baylor Shireman. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different without Mark Williams anchoring the defense. His numbers on the defensive end are so crazy when you look at it. He's got the fourth most blocks all time in single season history and Duke men's basketball, one shy of third all time, third all time, is Sheldon Williams. Second all-time is Sheldon Williams. And first all-time is Sheldon Williams. The <laughs> landlord was different like that. So I do think Derek Lively is going to be pretty do- uh, solid down there, uh, interior defense. But uh, to, to expect him to play at the level Mark Williams was is a little bit unfair there. The conversation I wanted to have, however, is uh, I want to go back to Jaden Shoot just for a minute. At that two-guard spot, it does feel like the conversation is, Trevor Keels, can you bring somebody in? and add some depth there at that position. My message would just simply be this. Jaden Shute is still, at the end of the day, a top 50 player in his class, borderline four or five star, right there on the cusp, and a guy that's a bigger wing, can really shoot the ball, six foot four, six foot five, a, a, just a talented player that I think people are going to fall in love with over the years. So I feel like we get a little bit spoiled 
with the five stars, with the top 10 players in the class. And, oh, you can't play if, if you're not in that ranking. Uh, and that would just be my message as well. Because I'm in agreement. I want Trevor Keels to come back for his second year, obviously. But Jaden Shute is still going to be a really fun player to watch. Yeah, there's no question about it. And his job is going to be to fill it up from the perimeter. He's considered probably the best, you know, right in there with, with J.J. Starling and a couple other players as the best shooter coming into college basketball this year. And shooting from the perimeter really matters. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very important part of college basketball, of pro basketball for that matter as well. And and I love what Jaden Shute's going to bring to the team. I, I don't think he is going to be a 25, 30 minute per game player. Um, it's not just his recruiting ranking, but in high school, he he played in sort of one of these lower level divisions in his state. Um, so he wasn't facing the, quite the same level of competition. Um, he's done well on the AAU circuit, but uh, it, it's I, I just I, I haven't seen the kind of indication from him that he's that he's ready for this kind of a step up uh, in uh, in competition to be ready to be a guy that you rely on for the majority of the basketball game. And, and again, I feel like if, if Duke is not, if Trevor Keels does not return and Duke doesn't fill that hole in the portal with someone who, who looks like an immediate starter, I think the more likely thing is that Derek Whitehead, who, who is a wing who can swing between either position, Derek Whitehead probably slides up a position, so to speak from small forward to shooting guard. And and you see uh, more of Mark Mitchell. In fact, it's possible that Mark Mitchell is a starting small forward. He is a five-star recruit, and and he showed out really well in the All-Star games this summer. He he was the leading scorer for the West in the McDonald's All-American game. Um, so so I think you could see more of Mark Mitchell, or or there are other combinations that may make a little more sense. And I'm not saying Jaden Shute won't be a significant player, but I think he's going to be a significant player in the about 15-minute range, not the 25-minute range. And again, you're right about the competition. Jaden Shute playing at Yorkville Christian Academy in Illinois. Dariq Whitehead from the New York, New Jersey area, but played high school ball down in Florida at Montverde Academy. Uh, as we mentioned, teammates with Cade Cunningham. Also on that team, uh, R.J. Barrett when Dariq was an eighth grader. Also on the team more recently, Scotty Barnes, who beat out Cade Cunningham for the NBA's Rookie of the Year award. Uh, Montvert, also the home of Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it's a full-on basketball school, and that's the level of competition that Whitehead was going up against every day. All right, I want to talk about the NIL, some of the ramifications that we're seeing right now, and a little bit more as we wrap up our conversation with Jason Evans here in just a moment. Today's edition of Lockdown Blue Devils is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your one-stop shop for all of your sports wagering information that you might need. It's basketball playoff time this time of year. We're in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference semifinals and also the start of the Major League Baseball season currently going on. Bet online is your continued source for all the information that you need, including live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Want to let you know here in the state of North Carolina, those Hurricanes and the NHL playoffs Got a big 5-1 victory last night over the Boston Bruins. Head to betonline.net to get more NHL playoff lines and props. Bet online, where the game starts. Final few moments here on Lockdown Blue Devils. J.J. Jackson hanging out with my buddy Jason Evans of the Duke Basketball Report. And boy, here we are, the second year 
of name, image, and likeness set to kick off. A lot of schools are going through their exam weeks right now and the semesters are coming to a close, which means we have officially capped the very first year of name, image, and likeness when you look at the academic calendar. Uh, before we start to look at what next year would sort of look like, do you have any big picture thoughts on what we saw this past year? It's a game changer. There's no question about that. Uh, look, when the NCAA tournament rolled around, if you went to Yahoo Sports to register for the Yahoo tournament, you know, prediction tournament bracket challenge, you saw Chet Holmgren and Paulo Bancaro's pictures. They were not wearing Gonzaga or Duke uniforms. They were wearing sort of, you know, generic fake uniforms, so to speak, because you're not allowed to represent your school. But Chet and Paulo got paid to, right. to be in those advertisements. Uh I it, it has been a long time coming. It is a hundred percent, a hundred and fifty percent the right thing to do. These these players have been toiling away for free for far far too long. Consider and, and there is tremendous value in what they bring on the floor, and I'm I'm thrilled that it finally happened for them. I'm that said, I'm I'm upset and frustrated that the NCAA has no idea what it's doing with this as an organization. The NCAA for decades heard people saying you need to compensate these players. You need to create a system where they can earn at least a fraction of what they're actually worth. And, and you know, part and parcel with that, you need a program where the richest schools, the schools that have the richest alumni don't just buy the best teams because even in pro sports, we have salary caps. We have other limitations. We have long-term contracts. There are ways that a professional basketball, football, hockey, soccer, baseball, whatever, there are ways that those teams control their roster and there are ways that those leagues create balance. The NCAA, despite being warned about this for decades, and I have a, a really good friend of mine who is a financial advisor for professional athletes who has been talking about that. He literally wrote a book about this more than 20 years ago. <laughs> the NCAA chose to do nothing. Mark Emmert, who is retiring and leaving the job of NCAA president, was paid millions of dollars a year to argue on behalf of a system that everyone knew was broken and everyone knew was unfair and everyone knew would eventually go away. And even even when the NCAA knew it was going away because California and Florida and several other states passed laws that meant the old system of not paying the players had to end. And they passed those laws with six-month, year, two-year timelines. The NCAA, California passed their law like 18 months before the, NCAA, before the NCAA got, you know, name, image, and likeness came into being. They knew it was coming and they chose to do nothing. And as a result, we have a system now where the, the two children of J.B. Hunt, the, the big trucking company, everyone has seen trucks that have J.B. Hunt on the side. The J.B. Hunt family, uh, J.B. Hunt's children both went to Arkansas, and they are pumping huge money into the Arkansas football and basketball programs, especially basketball. They love Arkansas basketball. Uh, when they were in school, it uh, was back in the, uh, you know, 90s when Arkansas Duke Duke fans remember Arkansas oh, yeah. in the 90s 
And so these are two huge Arkansas basketball fans. And Arkansas is shelling out name, image, and likeness dollars to, to build up their roster. They've brought in six new recruits. They have the second best recruiting class in the country behind Duke. They brought in six new recruits. They brought in four new transfers. They have 10 new players. And even though no one's talking about it, I guarantee you every one of those guys is making top name, image, and likeness dollars. I don't blame them. I'm not saying this is wrong that they've done it. I'm just saying they've taken advantage of a system that the NCAA has chosen to completely abdicate from, from policing. There is no salary cap right. in college basketball or college football. Pittsburgh, Pitts, University of Pittsburgh is about to lose the best wide receiver in the country, supposedly to get paid $2 million to play football at USC. And Pittsburgh is mad. Of course they're mad because they can't match the $2 million. And because there's no salary cap, USC can pay $2 million for a wide receiver. At Miami, they, they've got chaos in their locker room because Nigel Pack got a two-year $800,000 contract plus a Porsche to play basketball at University of Miami. And Isaiah Wong says, hey, wait, I'm, I'm almost as good. I'm just as good as Nigel Pack, and my name, image, and likeness deal isn't as good as his. And I've been here. And Yeah. <laughs> this is chaos. Right. And the blame falls on the NCAA. The blame does not fall on John Ruiz at Miami. It does not fall on the hunts at Arkansas. It does not fall on the $2 million booster at USC. It does not fall on the many boosters at Texas A&M who, who have bought the number one recruiting football recruiting class in the country to Texas A&M next year. It falls on the NCAA, which knew this was coming for a long time. They were warned for a long time, do something about it, fix the system. They refused, and now we have chaos. And chaos is going to reign for a couple of years at least until the NCAA and the schools and the conferences are able to figure something out. And probably what they figure out is a, is a standard pay scale across all of college sports. And that if you play college basketball or college football or some of the other sports, there is an, there is a stipend and a significant stipend that you are paid to, to play that sport. And that that maybe reduces things a little bit, but, but for now we just got to live with it and we should be very happy. We should feel very lucky at Duke that I suspect Duke doesn't talk about it. It's not public, but I suspect there are some wealthy alumni who are helping Duke navigate this process. And Duke is the biggest brand, the most marketable brand in all of college basketball. And as a result, we're able to bring in these players because they know there's a way they can capitalize on their brand by being associated with Duke. Uh, Jared McCain. Um, I mentioned this on yesterday's show. I'm sorry, what? I said I mentioned the Jared McCain story on yesterday's show. Yep. Yeah. Have you seen his TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> Dude is a dancer. He yes. loves dancing on TikTok. 1.4 million followers on the app. Yeah. And and if you look at those those dancing videos, and there are a lot of them, <laughs> there, it, it is routine for him to get five, seven, eight million views on some of those little 10, 15 second videos that he makes. Uh, Jared McCain, I think one of the reasons, and he's a great player, one of the reasons he's coming to Duke in the class of 23 is that he's like, I'm already a social media star. You tack Duke onto that. You tack me being on television twice a week, national television twice a week at, at Duke onto that. You tack us playing, you know, as a number one, number two seed, in the NCAA tournament, hopefully making the final four onto that. You think 1.4 million followers is a lot. I'm going for three. I'm going for five. I'm going for 10. That's what Jared McCain is thinking. And you already got a deal in high school with Kay Jewelers for Mother's Day. It's it's crazy what's happening. I think the biggest thing in all of this is, as you're saying, Jason, there's just no 
NCAA policing of the matter that's taking place. It's up to individual schools to make the decision. As you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Paulo and Chet not wearing their school across their chest. Uh, I know some schools, as we start the second academic year, from what I've been hearing, um, some schools are going to change that a little bit. They're going to try and start to handle it themselves in their house, in their university, so that you can get, I don't know, jerseys, T-shirts of your players to get profits off of it as well. So hopefully those things do continue to change. And Arkansas does such a great job. Obviously Duke played them in the 94 title game, played them this past year in the Elite Eight. I do some play-by-play work with the SEC Network and was in Fayetteville a few weeks ago. They've got softball players at the University of Arkansas who have major NIL deals with the schools themselves even included. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting for sure to see how this continues to play out. We were having this conversation a year ago, not knowing what it would look like 365 days in advance. And the same is said for one full year from now, too. Yeah, I, and I, I that's the exciting and also scary part. Yeah. And and it is scary. You you never know how how things are going to to change and how this could evolve. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, let let's say some big booster at some school decides to come after some of the kids that Duke has already recruited in the class of 23. It, yeah. it, it could happen. And 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 by the way, someone someone throws I don't know half a million a million dollars on the table. Does Jared McCain say no to that? Yeah. Does uh, Kenzie Mbako say no to that? Right. I don't know how they could. So there just there needs to be some system in place to make all of this have some kind of competitive balance. And, and the challenge in that, of course, is at the pro level, you're talking about you know thirty teams, or you know, or maybe a little more than that. You know, pro leagues are in that kind of ballpark. About thirty teams with somewhat similar resources. When you're talking about college basketball, 350 plus teams. All over the place. And there's no comparison between the resources at Michigan, Texas, Duke, Alabama, Clemson, UNC, and the resources at, I don't know, Southern University, Jackson State, um, Maryland, Baltimore County. I'm not even naming the smallest because I don't even know them that well. But... There's such a disparity that it's it's just a, a huge issue for the sport. And, and and I actually think one of the unintended consequences of all of this, I think Division One basketball is probably going to fracture and that you will see, I don't know if it's 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, but some segment of schools will peel off from the rest because it doesn't necessarily makes sense to to be competing with those schools and to be playing under the same rules as those schools because they're just there there's there's not much similarity in what your athletic programs are trying to Jason I certainly do appreciate the time today this conversation has been a whole lot of fun we've been able to touch on a lot of different topics I, I really want people to go check out the Duke basketball report podcast uh, listen to that draft so that we can hear the banter back and forth between you guys. Uh, and as Thanks always, much. man, I, I really just appreciate you being on the show today. Absolutely, JJ. Always enjoy it. Let's not make it two months next time. Yes, we'll make it much <laughs> sooner for the reunion. That's my buddy Jason Evans. He's joining me here on today's edition of Locked On Blue Devils. 
And that wraps up our show today. If you will, please leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast platform. That does a lot. Also do the same. Give the Duke Basketball Report a five-star review as well. If you would, follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. That's going to do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you, man. Good day.